Support for the sponsor pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey guys, it's Jason Smith. I'm excited to kick off the first episode of the Sponsor Pod featuring Robert Castellano from the Loveland Living Planet Aquarium. But before we start the pod, I should note this is a brand new podcast that will be highlighting all things sponsorships from sports, causes, entertainment, arts, and even events. We'll be interviewing sponsorship leaders throughout the world and discussing their best practices, their stories, and the various sponsorship trends that are out there. You can support the Sponsor Pod by not only subscribing, and listening to each episode, but sharing it with others through social media. Thanks so much for all your support. There's no money left. So, because you see it, you see the perfect storm of money out based on what you're self-funding the company and financing it. But what you also see is you see your 401ks and all of your investments drop by 60, 70%, right? So you see an instant, instant deletion of wealth at the same time, right? And it just goes down to nothing. So you're looking at this perfect storm of absolute zero, right? And then try to go to work in that time and try to stay in that business at that time. And it just, it, it, it's not there. And so that was a very, that was a very dark time. And we were lucky that we still had our home and we still had equity in a house. So we sold our house and we were able to live off of that for a while. But that's when I, we decided, um, no, I have to go back. That, that time working with Tim was the best time of my life. And I miss that every day. Sponsor Pod, a show about sponsorship leaders and their experiences, stories, and how they see the ever-changing world of sponsorships. I'm Jason Smith, and on the show today, we're going to hear from Robert Castellano with the Loveland Living Planet Aquarium. I sat down with Robert to hear about his sponsorship journey. You know, it's 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 funny, I because I, I'm a I'm an East Coast guy, right? So I grew yeah. up in I grew up in Connecticut, but my whole family is is from New Jersey. And I'm actually first generation Italian on both sides. And I grew up in a household of six brothers and sisters. But the unique side of that is four boys, my sister, and then 10 years between myself and my sister. So the five of them grew up together. And then I basically grew up in a household as a basically an, an only child in, in that case. because yeah. They were all out of the house essentially when I was old enough. But it was your traditional Italian household. The angry Italian father the loving mother and the constant fighting all the time. But the thing that came out of it was just, 
I think that's where my love for food came out of because my mom was probably one of the best Italian. Oh, Italian cooks. food I, is is phenomenal, and she's in, in, and her food is it was insanely good. You uh, still owe me a spaghetti. I do. Spaghetti you need dinner. to come over for a traditional Italian dinner, and that's that. I'm lucky enough because that's all of my mother's recipes, right? That I before she passed yeah. away, um, I was able to get her to put them all down on paper so we could yeah. preserve them throughout you know throughout time. But that that was a my childhood was uh, was very interesting going up. Um, with that type of a with that type of a of an environment, were your parents drivers? Did they drive? Were they kind of a were they a driving force in 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 your life? T- tell me a little bit about that. I'd have to say they were they they were a driving force, you know. But we were we were definitely lower middle class, um, you know, traditional work, you know, f- working working household where my father, you know, grew up working in my my grandfather's grocery stores in in Newark, New Jersey, and then. Um, was a chemical engineer by trade and, and worked in the defense industry after that most of his, most of his life. Um, but most of my, my motivation came from, I think, doing all the opposites of what he did, right? And, yeah. that, and that was, that was my, my motivation was to do, to do it the way I wanted to do it. And well, how, come, how come? How come you had that, that mindset? Because it was definitely a crazy household. I yeah. mean, to, to give you a little insight to me, um, I was sent to military school for high school, right? That, that, that'll give you the insights. Oh, of, wow, yeah. Of, of, now, that, that backfired on him because that turned out to be the greatest experience of my life, right? It, it, the military school was fantastic. It, you know, yes, it provided the discipline that I needed and, and certain things that I take with me through today, absolutely. And then that led into, you know, me going to Florida State University after, after high school. And, yeah, and, what, and, and so, so you, went to, you went to military school, I'm sure you learned a lot about discipline when, when, when you were there, right? Um, and then you went, to, you went to Florida State. How come Florida State? I mean, what was, what was the, the draw there? Well, I wanted to go to a Florida school, right? So, and and, and I, did, I, I did actually want to either go to FIU or Florida State or University okay. of Miami. And I was fortunate enough to get into Florida State, which in the end turned out to be fantastic because that's when I met my wife. I met my wife 30 years ago at Florida State. So, you know, it was, it was, to me, it was, a, that was a great benefit from all of that going to Florida State. Absolutely. But, you know, that's why I went to study international affairs was coming out of military school, wanting to see the, you know, the government side of the world or, or even the, even the FBI or law enforcement side. So I, that's why I studied international affairs with a minor in international business. Yeah. I tell me about something. that. So in, international affairs, I mean, you went to military school, um, you probably, Got a little bit of uh, some some international uh, e- experience there, at least yeah. at least being educated that way. Why did you want to go to international affairs? I want to. I mean, this is a sponsorship to, to, podcast. We're going to get to right, sponsorship gonna, down the road here, we'll but, to, but but it's going to be a while. But we'll get to. The but, but but the but it's, I think it's interesting that because a lot of a lot of people that want to get into the industry they. They go into advertising, marketing, I, or business. That and, was not my journey. That was not my spoken journey. Yeah, that so was, let's it, hear, let, t- tell us about that. I mean, international affairs was, was one of those things where I wanted to study, essentially from the political science side, about um, – and then it was, it was more or less on the international relations side of the house, right? Yeah. So it was an international affairs degree, but it was on the international relations side, right? So it could be anything from working in the State Department to any sort of foreign service – um, even like I said, going criminal justice on FBI side of the house, and that was all the path for me. And then one day, 
I met my wife now of 28 years um, when I had started a, the International Affairs Society as a as a as a as an effort to the kid the kids that wanted to do more in international affairs there was no there was no society there was no network for them which is today we have social media for those things but then it was you started these clubs in in college for people to be able to understand why other kids wanted to do what they were doing and then hopefully bring in outside agencies or entities that these kids could interview with or talk with or network and, and hopefully get jobs or interviews with so that that was a that was a funny story because as I was forming the the International Affairs Society, she was also running for student government or student senator and wanted to come in and campaign in my my with my club. And that's another story for another day. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, so so she had this this political life that she was doing she yeah. she wanted to get into that she was, was a political she, science major okay yeah, i was going to ask you if she was international affairs or if she was political, political science. science okay which led to a sports marketing career for her by the way yeah which which again we'll get into <laughs> which, which we'll is get, which is which interesting we'll eventually get into it right? which is super interesting um so so you had so you meet your wife at florida state you you study international affairs and you you're kind of in this political science uh realm yeah um so you graduate from florida state then what do you do well, we moved to Atlanta. Yeah. Right? And you get married in while you're in college. We get married just after college. Just after Again, college. Mar- well, it's it's a little bit two years after college because okay. I was a senior, she was a junior. Yep. She had to finish up school. I had finished up school. I had moved to Connecticut to take a job with um, a company in Connecticut and then eventually we moved to Atlanta together where we both kind of set out on on our paths. And that's where the that's where the whole thing broke down. Yeah, that's where the whole international affairs thing broke down, and I decided to go into the tech world. Why did it break down? What what Dude, what I, happened? I, there was no money in that field. I, you know, there was nothing in that field that, that was it I, hard to get a job, or was it hard to? Yeah, there was nothing really going on. You either yeah. had to live in Washington or stay in New York City, and and it was two places I didn't want to live, and and we didn't want to live at the time, and and so instead we, you know, we we started down the path of I started in the sales side of the IT world. Which is crazy. So you, Which is you, absolutely you go, crazy. So you go from from this international studies, relations, yeah. political science direction, and then move into the IT industry. And I believe it's the so, it was the IT software, industry. software consulting side, software so, consulting. Yeah. So tell, tell tell me a little bit about. So that, that was when PeopleSoft was in business, which is I think since then been acquired by Oracle, and it was a, it was an HR. It's an it was an HR software system, right? It was similar to what SAP and they all have today, and it was an HR system. But that was I was I was selling for another consulting firm at the time, and a good friend of mine had started this PeopleSoft software implementation and upgrade firm, and was recruited to go sell for Scott Brown, which is a unique name, right? But and. That's what led us out to Utah. Okay. Um, for us, it was, and this is where this is where the sports marketing journey begins because Tamara had my wife had been working at Turner Sports for the Goodwill Games, and was working on the Goodwill Games, which was on the off years of the Olympics, which was a which was an offshoot of, of, of similar Olympic Games, and always wanted to work for the Olympics. So at that time. The Salt Lake Organizing Committee was starting up, and Salt Lake had just gotten the Olymp- the Olympics awarded to him, and she wanted to go work out there. And for me, that was fine because as long as I was near an airport, our clients were were not in Atlanta; they were all over the U.S. So, so really, like, the Olympics brought you out. The Olympics brought, brought us you out, out west. so she could work for the Olympics. 
very yeah, interesting. Yeah, that started that's awesome. 22 years ago, yeah. right? And she wanted to work for the Olympics, and I, I've always wanted to live out west, right, ever since the Brady Bunch went to the Grand Canyon. Did you guys both work for the Olympics, or was it just her, and then you were doing I the still, IT? I still stayed. I was able to work from home as long as I was near an airport that serviced most of the, all the cities directly or, you know, through one stop. You know, Scott didn't mind where I, where I lived as long as I could still do the job remotely. So when you when you made this move and you transitioned to uh, moving out to Utah for the Olympics and your wife was going to be um, was she working there or volunteering? She was working there. She, she was head she was, of, she was actually head of sponsor services. Head for, of sponsor services. Head of sponsor services okay. for the Olympics. It's all like and, Olympics. And uh, that's pro- this is probably a question for her, but how did she end up with that? Not having really a sponsorship background. No, did- so she had actually started as a tour guide at at, at Turner. Okay. Doing the doing the studio tours. That was like her first job out of college, right? And what was then interviewed for a position at the Goodwill Games in PR. And then from there just started her her sports her sports marketing career. So she actually was the was the antithesis of all of this for me getting into sports. I, I credit everything to her. That's amazing. Yeah, because she got in, she was working for Turner, Ted Turner, Turner Sports and then the Goodwill Games. And wanted, you know, had had volunteered during the 96 Olympics in in Salt Lake. And that's when she got the bug to want to work for an Olympics, work for an organizing committee. So she comes out and, or you both come out. And she's she's working there. Yep. Did you ever have any inklings when you moved out here that you would eventually make that transition from IT to to the sponsorship world? Not not one bit, because that was in the the dot-com boom was at that point, too, right? So you had all the dot-com startups. Yeah. Um, Our business was growing because um, the larger companies were implementing PeopleSoft at large rates, and we had a a bench of PeopleSoft consultants that were some of the best in the country. So for me, it was – I never even thought about sports. I was like, oh, it seems like fun and it seems like it's exciting. But I never, I was like, oh, she's having a great career in it and she's having fun with it. And I'm able to live and work in, in, in Park City and, and she's working for the Olympics and it's all good. So so you end up o- over time and how, how long does she work? At the Olymp- Was it just during the Olympics there? Just the Olympics. So she worked from what, 97 or 98 to, to 2002, the end of two. To, Three or four months after the Olympics, and were you enjoying your IT job at the time? I loved it. Yeah, you loved oh, it. Oh, I loved it absolutely. You have this job you really love. Uh huh. Your wife's working in the sponsorship world, and just first job in the sponsorship yep. world first with the Olympics, the which with the Olympics. is a gigantic opportunity. Yeah. Right. And you both decide to start your own agency. Well, called, it's, called it's, Sh- yeah, it's not that easy actually. Okay, so yeah. I had, so I had gotten recruited away from Scott to a okay. dot com called Hall Kenyon at the time. And that was another software consulting firm, but across the, at that time was, was, you know, Java was the big programming language at the time. And we're not talking about a Starbucks barista. We're talking about Java, the programming language. And so I had jumped ship to Hall Kenyon, which was, the classic San Francisco software software consulting startup with stock options and all those great things. And everybody knows the end of that story. Well, dot-com bust happens in, in 2000, 2001, right? And I find myself looking f- – the, the company essentially just sells off to K-Force and there's a whole new, there's a whole new business. There's a whole you – know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of a job essentially. 
Wow. And so the Olympics are happening at the time, still happening. I end up going into, in the interim, into medical staffing because there was just nothing in the technology world at the time yeah. available. The Olympics end. We were probably going to move back to the East Coast. And Tamara had started consulting at the, after the Olympics on a, on, a, on a couple of Super Bowl projects. And she's like, well, for some of her sponsors from, for, from, from the sponsors from the, from and, the Olympics. Some, and people she knew, right? Okay. Friends and people she knew from the Olympics. And she's like, I think I want to start this business. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And, and I love the name of the business. Yeah, what, Shindig, Shindig Marketing and Shindig, Events. She, Shindig. That was all her. She came all up with that, right? Shindig Marketing and Events. And I said, great, start it. And she started it. And then I would say about a year later after she started, I had quit. And joined her because it was it was making enough money to support both of us. So what made you goal. decide that you wanted to make that that transition? Were, to, were, I, were, were I, you I starting got, to have some interest in the sponsorship world, or because yeah. now you had never really done that? No, that was having interest in the sponsorship world, and honestly, I, I got to work with my wife every day. Awesome, right? Yeah, and and, and so what a great opportunity. Yeah, so Shindig was started as a uh, sponsorship, sales, service, and activation right mm-hmm. and and so for us it was either helping negotiate sponsorships or activating sponsorships any any side of of, of the of the house that they needed uh, that a sponsor of either the we were lucky enough to um, get sponsors for Torino Olympics Athens Olympics uh, Beijing China um, we did every Super Bowl from I think 93 to 99 for a couple of Super Bowl sponsors. Mm-hmm. So that was the other side of the house is we were able to do this together and travel together because as everybody knows, the Olympics and Super Bowls are, are in, they're in great places. Yeah, oh yeah. Right, they're in fantastic places. So, so you're able to have this combination of being able to work together correct. but travel together. Yep. It was kind of a work slash vacationing together and see always, the world, yeah, right? Yeah. And I, we didn't get enough as much vacations as we liked because when you find out that when you own your own service-based firm, and you're the product. Yeah, you got to really you work. Get, you don't get a lot. For of, sure. You don't get a lot of vacations, which, yeah. which was great. But we got to see the world. Yeah. And and together and 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 grew the agency to about five employees. Um, we would use a lot of contract employees at the uh, you know a lot of uh, trip directors and contract mm-hmm. employees for the programs when we were activating on the ground at either the Olympics or Super Bowl, um, which is this is where the sports career started. How would you find those? Those contract workers, when you're o- there, overseas, there were and- actually websites for them okay. right, that you could find them on. But yep. then once you found them once, and you could give them continuous work, they became loyal to you. So they knew that okay, every February they were doing Super Bowl for you. They knew that um, there was either a Summer Olympics or a Winter Olympics for, for coming up. So they so so a lot of them just kind of became our contract database that. We could go out to them and, and trip directors at that time, and even today, I, I'm sure, specialized in either food and beverage or transportation or any sort of on-the-ground operations. So once you found these people, you didn't let them – you wanted to keep them busy because then they knew your guests and they knew your programs and they knew how you operated. So you, they essentially became an extension of your workforce every year without having to maintain the full-time payroll. Were there challenges with that at all? In I the, mean, be- like- in the beginning, there were. Um, but as we got kept going, the, no, there really wasn't. It was became it was, turnkey at that point. It became turnkey at that time, and and I and, and and my wife and I always say that 
you know, we wish that we started the agency today because the, I think the biggest limitations then were technology, right? The ability to do online software, online registration for programs, um, online, um, asset management for, for sponsorships, for programs, none of that was available. There was no cloud at that time. So we spent a lot of money on the IT infrastructure that we had our own internal IT infrastructure at our office for everything we did cloud-based. But that was our big, technology was so limited at the time. Oh, yeah. Today, with everything being cloud-based and cloud-based and iPhone and, and phone, you can you can run your business from anywhere and, and not have any interruptions. So when you're in Europe and you're trying to do things via you know your server back home and you're still using potentially dial-up services or you know, uh, T1 lines that are, you know, five megabits per second. That was our biggest limitation was technology because we tried to use technology to our benefit. And it was just on the leading edge of everything. Now you worked, you worked together for almost 10 years, Almost 10 years. So, so was there, did you feel like there was enough business to do that? Were there any hard times or challenging times, especially during that was during the recession? So or was it, was it shortly thereafter? It was, it was. It was basically from 2003 to 2010 was fantastic. Um, we had had enough business. Um, we kept it. We kept it small because Tamara and I wanted to stay involved with the with with our clients and our and our and the sponsors. Um, I think if you got too diversified and we got away from it, I think that's when would things would would start to unravel. Yeah. But what you realize is. That was probably the biggest mistake we made was not growing it bigger. Yeah. So you could survive, you know, when you have five or seven clients, a 60 or 70% reduction in clients is a big number. Yeah. But if you have 30 or 40, a 60, 70% reduction in clients is a hit that you take and you can manage, but you don't potentially go out of business because of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. I, that's in hindsight being 2020 that when a recession hit because a, 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 a sports marketing software sales and service and activation firm is, is reliant heavy on money and, and lines of credit because what you find is is during these programs, your clients write you one check and you pay out all their bills on behalf of them. But you have to have, you have, to have money to be able to do that while you're, getting, you're receiving monies in from them on your receivables and paying out on the interim on these bills for these programs, right? Because you're doing transportation, you're doing food and beverage, you're doing travel, you're doing everything that has a, has a high expense to it. And that was great at the time for us because uh, money was freely available from a line of credit perspective. Mm-hmm. It was very easy to get money at the time. So that was the upside to it, right? I could have large lines of credit, we could support the business, we could run them up as time went on, and then sponsors would reimburse us and you just you know, buy up, buy down your lines of credit. Well, when the housing, when, when, the, when the bubble burst, so did all of that. Yeah. And, and for us, we were, not, we were not leveraged against it. It was just our funding dried up. But at the same time, events— Did you want to try and raise, raise money? Yeah, or? That, we go down that story. Um, but events also became, unfortunately, a four-letter word at the time, right? That's yeah. when um, no politics involved in this conversation. Obama had gotten elected in office. There was all this— uh, negativity about corporate spending and 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 hospitality and so we saw most of our clients for olympics and so we'll cancel their programs because they didn't want to be associated with that and which was fine 
because we were still small enough and, 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 and Tamara and I had saved a lot of money during that time for a rainy day that um, when all the lines of credit dried up and everything was happening, we just reinvested back in the company to keep it going. Yeah. But what you don't realize is, is when all of this dries up and um, companies don't want to pay their bills in a timely manner or even pay at all, and you're self-funding it, well, there's a there's cash a, flow becomes a big issue. There's a finite amount of money at that time. Yeah, and so there was a very there was a very dark day in in, in 2010, uh, fall of 2010, when we had to shut it all down. And yeah. we had to lay off the, the remaining employees, and and Tamara and I were just basically at absolute zero T- at that point. Tell tell me a little bit about that that dark time. There's no money left, so because you see it, you see the perfect storm of money out based on what you're self funding the company and financing it. But what you also see is you see your 401ks and all of your investments drop by 60, 70 percent, right? So you see an instant instant deletion of wealth at the same time, right? And it just goes down to nothing. So you're looking at this perfect storm of absolute zero, right? And then try to go to work in that time and try to stay in that business at that time. And it just, it, it, it's not there. And so that was a very, that was a very dark time. And we were lucky that we still had our home and we still had equity in a house. So we sold our house and we were able to live off of that for a while. But that's when I, we decided, um, no, I have to go back. That that time working with Tamara was the the best time of my life, and I miss that every day. Yeah. So does she. And yeah. and but now the challenges of of seeing absolute zero in 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 essentially your bank accounts and your and your income and, had and to have everything. been depressing. It was extremely depressing. That was awful, absolutely awful. When you're selling off assets and you're just you know you're just sitting, living to survive for a couple of years. Um, because the job market was also really tight at the time. There was high unemployment, and um, Tamara had managed to get a couple of consulting engagements, and that's when we had just decided, okay, I'm going to go back to work full-time mm-hmm. and take this sponsorship experience hopefully out for a ride. Yeah. And that's what led me to the Miller Sports Properties. When we come back, how Robert transitioned from his marketing and events agency to selling sponsorships for a local raceway and a major league soccer team. We'll also learn how he brought a traditional sports sponsorship program into the nonprofit world. Stay with us. This is Jason Smith, and you're listening to The Sponsor Pod. Support for The Sponsor Pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, Look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, welcome back to the Sponsor Pod. I'm Jason Smith. So it's 2011 and Robert shuts down his agency he started with his wife and starts working for Miller Motorsports Park, a newly built raceway in the Salt Lake City market. It took a while to get a job there. It took six to eight months, but um, when I did, it was it was a really cool time, right? Because I'm because you love racing. I love motorsports. I yeah. really do. I'm still involved in it today. Yep. Um, with a very very good friend of mine, and and um, I still get to do that as well. But I've I've always been a Formula One motorsports guy. So for me, that was uh, that was an exciting time. That was like doing 
oh, I can do the sponsorship world and be in motorsports and work at a hundred million dollar racetrack that was at, at that time one of the most one of the a world class facility, one of the best in the world. Um, yeah, that was that was. So this transition. So I it, dove into that head first, yeah. man. I'm like, I'm in. I'm the happiest guy. I don't even care what you're paying me. Yeah, and 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 to that point, when did you feel like you kind of recovered from? From from that, it's kind of two twofold question here. When did you feel like you recovered, and then when what does your wife end up doing? So you end up going to Miller Motorsports Park. When did you really feel like you you guys had really kind of recovered from the recession? And what did your what's today's date? What's, yeah, that's about it. It's about, yeah. it's about it to build it all back up. Yeah, yeah I mean that's about it. To, to so get it took to, a while. It wasn't took a, a while. Wasn't an instant thing. Was not an instant overnight success. It was. It took a. It took a lot of hard work and 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 you know living well within your means to to serve to 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 build it all back up. Yeah. And so Millermore Sports Park was fantastic. It was an f- awesome job for almost four years. Doing you know corporate sponsorships out there and corporate event sales, um, and now the track is no longer there. But I had left before the track was was shut down. Mm-hmm. That's when I was recruited to to work at Real Salt Lake. And and what made you so you love motorsports, and then you decide to make this jump to Major League Soccer with Real Salt Lake. Why why make that that change because of your love of motorsports? So I also I, so I also wanted to do stick and ball. Sports, okay. Right. So that was another thing I wanted to do in my career was as I started building into the in my sponsorship experience, I'm like, OK, let's start continuing. Let's start building this more. Right. Let's let's take it to if I can continue to take it to a level. And so at that time I had um, met the now chief business officer of, of Real Salt like Andy Carroll. And we had met at a, at a friend's house for dinner and he had just gotten the VP of corporate marketing, VP of corporate partnerships job at Real Salt Lake. And. We had stayed in touch a little bit, and then one day out of it, I was, you know, I was also commuting from Park City out to the Motorsports Park. So that was about an hour and ten minute commute each way, every day. Wow! So I also wanted to try to get closer to home and cut down my commute, but also wanted to work in in, in stick and ball. And reached out to Andy and RSL, and and at the time they happened to be opening up a position for director of corporate partnerships, and started interviewing and was fortunate enough to to get that job. Yeah, t- tell me about your time there and working with the partners at Real Salt Lake and the relationships that you built there. Well, if it wasn't for that transition, you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room today. That is true. Right? That that uh, out of that grew some really fantastic friendships. One of them is being, you know, not just, you know, you're not just a partner of the Living Plant Aquarium or you weren't a part of Real Salt Lake. We became really good friends out of that, and and I've had several other friendships evolve out of that. That really was the bonus to all of that. But um, my time at Real was fantastic. Um, I have to be honest with you. Um, I I grew both personally and professionally there. I I took my sponsorship skills to the next level. I took what I do from uh, from negotiating to partnership development to activation experiential marketing um all grew at another grew at another level for me and that was really for me besides the agency real Salt Lake was the i have i've been lucky I, I went from an agency to to motorsports to real salt lake i, I i've been very lucky and and having worked for some great organizations um including my own over the last now 20 years i, I would say it's been and with, and with Real Salt Lake and and knowing you personally, I 
I know there's been some there's there's been a lot of positives obviously from the relationships from yeah. from RSL. What would you learn with at your time there? You know, I always knew relationships were important, but I really learned how important they were when I left when I moved from RSL. Um, sponsorship is all about relationships, and I and I don't like to use the word sponsorship because I think now it's morphed into partnerships, yeah. right? And partnership marketing, yep. and and it's still sports marketing, but it's in, in my opinion, it's really partnership and partnership marketing because. I think sponsorship is just something you do and you pay money and you get transactional. assets. It's transactional, right? Partnerships are are deeper than that, right? And that's where, for me, it really became that, that I learned that it was more about partnerships. And yeah. it was more about a fully integrated partnership, right? It wasn't just, hey, you pay us 100 grand and you get tickets and signage. That's not what it's about. It, it, it's about you, yes, you're paying us money, but we need to work together that it that it that it aligns with your marketing goals and objections and your plans and then achieves the ROI that's being expected out of it, right? And ROI comes in many different forms, right? Signage and billboards and, and digital signage all have an ROI based on it, but that's an intangible ROI. Sponsors today are getting more and more sophisticated on measurement and, and data coming out of these sponsorships. And 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 I really learned that I think that the biggest challenge I had learned was, or even the biggest takeaway was you can't just do a partnership and expect that the partners are going to continue to renew. You have to, you have to really renewals begin the day, the, the first day you sign the contract. And, and that and is that's one where of the renewals, biggest, that's where renewal, the renewal begins that day. And that's one of the biggest challenges, right? Is, is, is understanding how you can show that benefit back Correct. To, to, to the sponsor. Correct. And, and today, the the ROI or the return on objective, whatever you want to call whatever it, you want to call it, is is super important to the sponsor, and and that is a big challenge. And I think, um, as as you mentioned, that's working in the team sport industry. That is probably one of the big challenges. That's probably the biggest challenge, I would say. It, it, it's it it's easy just to stick a sign up in a stadium and go, "There's your sign," and it's like, see how great it is, but. You don't. You got to expect the second level question from the sponsor. Well, what's it doing for me? I don't know. What is it doing for you? Well, right? what are your objectives? What to? are your objectives to it? Right. And I and I always told my partners that a sign in a venue or in a stadium is only simply an anchor point to show that you're a partner. It's all the other things you do inside the partnership after that that become the measurable de- or the measurable deliverables for the partnership. It's, it's how you activate via social media. It's how you, the partner, activate and spend money on activating the partnership as well, right? And, and, and you benefiting and putting it out there. And so it's not just about that anymore, right? It's, it's creating unique promotions. It's creating traffic drivers. It's um, creating experiential opportunities at games, at, you know, for Mountain America, for, for new branch openings, for, for things like that, right? That's... That's for partners like that. You have to create. You have to be different than everybody else out there because everybody sponsorships the same everywhere else. People will do all the same things. It's how do you? How do you? A as a partner rise above the clutter, penetrate the clutter, and how do we help you penetrate that clutter at at, at the same time and all the noise that goes with it in the marketplace? Right? Because you're being bombarded with messages every day on on the sponsorship side. Yep. So that's where 
sports marketing is still unique, right? It's it's still very targeted. Um, it still reaches specific demographics based on what the, the partner wants to reach. And so those challenges became more and more substantial every year because partners became more and more sophisticated every year on what they wanted to do. And, and, and also budgets get tight and, um, they want to see more ROI for their investments. They don't want to see less and they will give you more money as long as you can show that the incremental ROI is worth them investing in, in it. And we could do a whole podcast just on that. We could do an entire podcast. We could do <laughs> yeah. a series on that. Yeah. Right on that side of it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, when, when you start looking at uh, sponsorship valuation and, and how to really analyze the, the, the ins and outs of a sponsorship and how, how it really affects the company, but it's different for every sponsor, right? You it's know, completely it's, different it's, for every sponsor. um, for, uh, a bank at XYZ might be important, but for, uh, for lack of a better term, Joe's Aquarium down the street, you know, might be yeah, everything's every so, every sponsor is different, and you and, totally different. And and note and, and and I always tell anybody who works for me on either fulfillment or sales side is no two sponsorships should ever look the same. Yeah, they just can't. Right? Yeah. Yes, there can be some packages that you can sell at lower levels, but it, in in our world, there are no packages. There's no package out there. It is it is it's customizable. It's uniquely custom to what you want. So, so you just, you gave a lot of really good nuggets there that I hope, that I hope people can, can learn from there. Um, but you make one of the most interesting transitions, right? So, so oh, it's unique. So you go from <laughs> the sports world and sponsorships, which I think a lot of people, that's where they want to live and end their careers and really make a career out of which, which you did, which I did. Absolutely. You absolutely did. Um, from Olympics to the raceway to major league soccer to Super but, Bowls. Yeah. To Super Bowls. Uh, but then you make a switch to the nonprofit world, right? So you go from sports sponsorships to um, to the sponsorships with the Love and Living of Planet Aquarium, which is one of the the premier aquariums in the country, seventh largest in the country, one of the top ten in in the U.S. So it's a phenomenal facility in a desert, in a desert, and it's, it's a phenomenal facility. I'm I'm actually very lucky to work there. It I is. Have to be honest with you, I'm very and, lucky. To work and it there. and it's awesome. You start looking at the numbers. I mean, there's there's over a million people that come through this place in a year, right? So you've got you've got Absolutely. a great you've got a great product to be able to sell, but it is nonprofit, right? They 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 have their their mission and what they want to do there. It's not a for-profit entity like a sports organization, right? So tell me about that transition um, of selling sponsorships from the sports side to a nonprofit. Ooh, where do you begin on that one? Um, you know, I, I was I was fortunate enough to spend five years at RSL, and and you know, having turned fifty while at RSL, and you know, one of the things you realize is, I don't think I think people go into sports thinking it's a phenomenal career, it's a phenomenal job. But let me tell you, it is, but it's a lot of hard work, and 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 when wears you're, on you over time, it wears on you over the time, right? And you're doing. 35, 40 events a year, um, whether it's games or partner events or uh, as, as your owner buys, you know, a minor league team or integrates a minor league soccer team and then integrates a, a women's team and you're starting to work all those events and then having worked all the being on the road with Super Bowl Olympics and then at Millmore Sports Park and those events. And some of these organizations it, own 
six, seven, eight different properties that you right. need to sell, right? That you need to sell, right? Yeah. And you're responsible for those. There's no off time. There's no <laughs> off time. You know, people say, oh, the season ended. Well, no, that may end for the players, but the season ended, but my season begins, right? Sponsorship sales begin at that time. Renewals begin at that time. You're always set. You're always on. And so it was one of those things where I just had decided that I really wanted to take what I had learned over the last essentially 18, 20 years and give it back and try to bring a sports marketing model to a nonprofit. So this was, this was very deliberate. I, 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 w- I was leaving RSL regardless. Um, I had spent a great amount of time there. I'd achieved almost everything I wanted and wanted to see if I could give this back. And at that time, the aquarium was hiring for an associate director of development, which is nothing like we do. And I, and I had reached out and, and wanted to bring this sport, hopefully maybe bring a sports marketing model, corporate partnerships model, to a nonprofit. Well, between Heather Doggett, the COO, and Brent Anderson, the, the, the CEO and founder, they saw that vision, and a position was created for me there. And that's where, now, oh, nonprofit, that's easy to sell for, right? I could go do that. Yeah, it's not that, let's be clear, it's not that easy. Yeah. And, and I say it's not that easy only because, like you just said earlier, it's about the mission. So... You know, in the for-profit world, partners can come in, they can activate, they can, they, we can put out promotions, we can do trap. That's not, the, you, you can't do the same thing in, in, in that. And also you have to be careful who you partner with and what partners come on board because you want them, you, they have to align with your mission, right? And they have to align with the goals and objectives of your mission. So it's very easy to ask for the money. It's not hard asking for the money for a nonprofit because it's simply saying this money is going back out to support the mission and everything we stand for. What is the mission? So the mission is is, is about educating and creating awareness and helping people learn, explore, and discover the Earth's diverse ecosystems, right? So how can you have that impact at home and or even, even at what you do every day? So for us, um, simple things are, you know, recycling, right? And you know, trying to eliminate the, the use of, of single-use plastics, right? Trying to use, you know, you buy aluminum instead of plastic. Buy, so the mission is all about education and awareness for, for the cause of, of hopefully people understanding how everything you do we, you, is downstream of, the, of, of, of you, right? And, and um, going back to it, creating that awareness for that. That's phenomenal. Now, you, you, you talked about bringing a sports sponsorship uh, program into this nonprofit world, right? Yeah. Um, how does that look? How, how does, what, what does that look like? It worked very differently in the beginning than it is today, right? Because yeah. you bring this type A sports East Coast guy into this world, and now they are – now, let me tell you, Brent and, and Heather are very forward-thinking and uh, share a like-mindedness and this ability to want to constantly improve and get better and always do things better. So that aligned perfectly for how I am. Now, my edges need to be smoothed, and, and, and you know, it, you have to learn the, how the, the world, that nonprofit world works. But it's not too different in how you sell and activate the partnerships for partners. Um, you just have to be you have to be more creative and more focused on what the partnership looks like, right? Because it can't just be about driving traffic to the partner. It's integrating the partner with your brand and your mission and hopefully aligning the two together that help each other. Because there are some challenges 
on on in in the nonprofit world because there's not you can't do call to actions right yes. so, so talk a little bit about that so you know very simple if you take if you take a, a promotion at RSL where if you're if you're a bank or a credit union and you say on the video board during a game, hey, go open up a new account at Mountain America Credit Union and you get you get it you get a new you get an RSL jersey, right? That is simply us saying go go if you go open an account, you get an RSL jersey, that is us driving that traffic back to them and us promoting it. We can't do that in the nonprofit world because there's a thing called UBI or unrealized business income that we can't specifically traffic drive to you and promote that we have to do it from an educational component so mm -hmm. instead of saying hey go to mount american open an account and getting getting a jersey or getting tickets or a membership to the aquarium now you can do that all day long on your marketing site we have no problem with that we can't repost that we can't we can't tag that but what we can do is create education around financial awareness or um you know, understanding, you know, kids and how opening a savings account and, and, and depositing money over time can help grow and, and creating that, that uh, financial education aspect out of it. That's how we can promote it. So it's, it's, hey, Mountain America has these wonderful programs to teach financial awareness and financial education. So those are the things we can talk about. And, and, but we can't tell you to go do that we can tell you these programs exist or these are things that they do. From there, they're able to take it, understand and learn from what is, what's there and then go. And take action on that, on your on side. On that specifically. Right, right. Now, now that's just, that's just a shift in a paradigm, right? Yeah. You, you have to, you have to, it's almost a better shift, right? Because you become this shameless promoter in sports, right? Of, of pushing product out there and, and, that's great. Look, I loved it. I did it for a long time. Um, but when you look at what it is today at, at the aquarium, by aligning the two together in your mission, you're almost creating a stronger partnership because your brand gets legitimized by associating with us because of all the good work we're doing out there. And then we benefit from your support because it helps fund all these educational programs that we go out and do, right? So the two of us are mutually beneficial in this relationship. So it's it's almost a better partnership and a, and a stronger partnership because you're not just out there with this promotion of driving business, right? Which is great. I, yeah. You want to do that for the partner, but the partner can gain more uh, community awareness and, and, and integration in the community through these types of partnerships than just through the sports side. So I want to transition just a little bit from away from – the sponsorship side. So in the nonprofit world, you've, you've integrated this. Well, at least with the aquarium, you've integrated this sponsorship, uh, program, but you've also got development, correct? Right? which is, which is totally different than sponsorship. hundred percent, completely different side of the house. T tell us a little bit about the difference between selling a sponsorship for the aquarium versus the development Two two completely different sides of the house, right? My, my focus is on the corporate the corporate partner, the corporate donor, but really on the corporate partnership side. The development side of the house is, is, is truly the nonprofit side of the house. That is the grant writing side, right? That's 
writing grants for foundations. You know, you have the Larry H. Miller Foundation. You have Sorensen Eccles Foundations locally. But you also have a lot of national foundations related to our business. So that's the grant writing side of the house. That's the – that is one side, right, where you, you write – the grant, submit it, hopefully it gets approved and, and money, excuse me, gets awarded to you. The other side of that is the is the stewardship of donors, right? That's the individual like you and I, right? Yeah. That's that's where, yes, you may be a CEO of a company and in your company and the direct and the VP of marketing may give money to me on the corporate side, but the CEO may also be a private donor of the aquarium. And that's where the development team the associate director of development or the director of development would work with that CEO as far as stewarding them through the donor process. What kind of programs do you put in place for that specifically? Well, before we didn't really have it, it was, is, is you would, if you were a private donor, you would give a large sum of money. And, and typically in those worlds, you can't receive any benefits from them, right? You can't, um, so you give it and you either, you give it a name only and, and you receive some sort of a, a, um, recognition inside the aquarium as a donor. But currently, we've, in, we've, we've launched a new thing called the Ambassador Council, which now individual donors and even corporations can really become a, a larger scale member of the aquarium and help us in, in achieving our mission by doing this Ambassador Council program. And these, these are simple, you know, and, and we've had conversations about these. This is the ability to take the member from our last member of 500, our membership of $500 and hopefully steward them through the 1000 the 5000 the 12000 the 25000 the $100,000 level and, and building relationships and, 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 as we call it, stewarding them through the process. To hopefully maybe they become a corporate partner or they become a corporate donor or they become an individual large donor. Eventually, over time, they'll they'll become larger donors in some capacity. Over time. And and and, and a lot is similar on that side that it's all about a relationship. Yeah. Right? And and you can't expect to just meet someone and say, hey, give me $100,000. Yeah. You hopefully meet them and they start small and they start to 1000 or 5000 And over time, you, you show them the value of what we're really truing, truly doing in our mission. And then over time, they hopefully become a larger donor. So that's that's still a relationship. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a different side of the business that I don't know anything about. I, I've learned a lot about it, having the the, the fortunate to being able to run it mm-hmm. since I've gotten there. Um, but it's truly people specialize in that, like they specialize in sponsorship and partnerships. Those people live and exist in that world. So the future's bright with the the, the aquarium. Oh, it's, I mean, there's I mean, there, there's there's a there's a lot there that's that's coming. It's unbelievable. Um, expansions and 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 looking at a lot of different things there. So, what uh, the future's bright there? You you've you've been there for a few years now. What, year and a half. What year and a half? What do you uh, what's what's the future like for Robert? Well, I can tell you right now, I'm staying there for a long time. It's a fantastic place to work and. I mean that from the standpoint that you have people working there every day for just the mission. And I feel a sense of duty to support them and, and raising money for them so they can continue to go out and, and, and support and educate on that mission. And I, I essentially didn't think that that was going to be my path for a long period of time when I got there. But... They have taken such great care of me, and I've gotten a tremendous amount of pride out of this, more so than even selling for RSL or, or, or 
were selling for the motor sports park that you you really see a true sense of pride in the word that you are really tr- you're really doing good in this and right now for some things and I feel a sense of duty to help support those people because these people work hard um, they do they do t- they do a work that I wouldn't I could never see myself doing and and, and but they really do have an unbelievable sense of mission and purpose and so I feel like I feel like I want to I want to help continue to grow that and contribute back and give back to it and I've been lucky to have done Olympics and Super Bowls and 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 major league soccer and and motorsports and this is just a a different time and a unique time so I don't know where it's going to take me but right now it's that's where I'm staying for a while. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I've and and that goes ties back when I left RSL and went to the aquarium. I was truly shocked by the relationships that I had made that had turned into friendships, and those friends followed. And and I'm I'm really happy about that. And and that to me was something that made me feel really good because I feel that those people followed me. Because I tried to take, I try to take really good care of my partners. I really try to always be there for them. I'll, I'll answer their call if I'm not in a meeting or I'm not on another call. I will always be there for them, whether it's morning, noon, or night, um, and will always be responsive to their needs. And, and I always tell my people, there's four walls to a contract. I don't care what exists inside the contract; that could be changed. We can move things around and make it better for for the partners. That's constantly my thing: is to be very partner centric. So I was lucky. That, that people like you and and, and Peggy Larson and uh, that followed me and, and several others partner, partners great clips have followed me to, to the aquarium and I'm honored for that so there's there's a couple of questions as we come to the end of the podcast here um, that I want to ask you and one, one being what what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do I mean you've had a an interesting path from from political science and <laughs> <laughs> international relations and affairs and and uh, to go into Florida State, the, then starting your own agency with your wife and, and going to the motorsports park in Real Salt Lake and now with the aquarium, what, what gets you up and what, why do you, why do you, uh, what gets you up in the morning to do what you do? I guess it's just because I love it, right? I get, to, I get to see a difference every day. You know, sponsorships are fantastic and it, it, it's, it's the service-based business where you actually build a product. Right? And you actually see that product come to life, um, whether it's building a, a jersey front or a naming rights partnership at RSL to building a naming front, naming rights partnership at the aquarium. You see it go from proposal to integration, right? And you see it build before your eyes. And, and that's pretty cool because the partners get excited too as they see it develop and they see it come to life. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, I have to say that, you know, to go back to 2010, I've seen my darkest days and I won't have that day ever again. And I don't ever want to see that day come again. So there really isn't anything that anyone can do that can really make me have a bad day. now. Because when you've seen your darkest days, that's to me why I wake up every morning because I've been blessed from having seen it all fizzle away to now building what I've, what myself and my wife have built back up over the last 
you know, 10 years. She's since transitioned out of sports. She's in the healthcare industry, um, doing extremely well as, as the head of marketing for the Union Pacific Railroad Health Insurance Plan. She's had an unbelievable marketing career since since Shindig, or has and has continued to have one. I've I've just felt that it took a lot of hard work to get back to this, but I will always remain positive every day because when you've seen that darkest day, there really isn't any other darker days. And and I was lucky to, to be able to, to do what I've done and continue to do. Right? I get to work with people I love every day. Right? And I get to work with partners. Like my, I have no two days are alike. I get to be with a different partner every day, or I get to see something unique at the aquarium every day. So it's not like you get up and go do the same thing every day like a lot of people do. I get to go up and get up and do things completely different. My day takes me in a different direction, and, you know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky with that, and, and, and I've had a lot of fun doing it. I'm going to continue to have a lot of fun. I don't know where the course, where the, career, where the path goes, but right now, I'm t- it's day You're enjoying it. I'm living it day by day. So if you, Robert, if you were listening to this podcast 15 years ago, what, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? We're going to do another podcast because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's two forks in the road and there's always a fork in a road. And I think if we talked about it a little earlier, if I could go back and if we would have just doubled the size of, of shindig and we would have kept we could have kept growing it like we we should have i think we'd still be in business today and i'd still be able to work with my wife every day um there's no greater there's no greater success than having that you know the the, the one person you can trust in your life be your be your business partner um but i think we'd still be in business today i think that was a key now the other thing is, I probably wouldn't have reinvested the money back in. <laughs> so I probably would have just closed it down and been in a lot better financial situation to today. But that's all hindsight. That's all 2020. You know, that's what made me the person I am today. So I don't know if I would have been that person today. So I don't have any regrets because for almost 10 years you lived every day like a lion, right? I saw the world. I saw Asia. I saw Europe. I saw South America. I saw, you know, I saw the U.S. Like. When you can live every day like a lion, I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I would have changed anything because that's all hindsight. So for me, it beca- I became who I am today because of it. That's why I'm able to do what I do. And so I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I've changed. Maybe those couple of things, like you know. But but again, I think if you, I always tell my, I tell people who work for me, never should on yourself. I should have done this. I should have done that. I don't believe in that. Believe in just going forward every day now. It's hard. It was hard. It was hard for a few years to think that, but now you can't, and anybody can. But you got to want it. That's the other thing. You got to look in the face and realize, okay, that was all me. Yeah. Robert Castellano, director of corporate partnerships with the Loveland Living Planet Aquarium. Thank you, Robert. That was great. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Sponsor Pod. Today's podcast was brought to you by Sponsors CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. 
I'm Jason Smith, and you've been listening to The Sponsor Pod.